So we're beginning this year refocusing on the basics, Focus 2020. And right now we're looking at prayer. We're looking at how to pray and learning how to have a real and vibrant prayer life. This is because it's an essential part of our walk with God. So how should we pray? Jesus has the answer in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's his answer. Last week, Randy gave a great explanation of the first line of the prayer, Our Father. And we even talked about it during communion. We talked about the promise of our adoption as sons, where Jesus gave up his sonship. He died for our sins and rose again, bringing us into his glory and to himself as sons of God. So because of our adoption, we can come to God, our Father, openly and unreserved. Just like Etta comes running to me to ask me for anything. And I, I may say no, but I'm going to listen. And guess what? I love to hear her voice. I mean, for those of you who saw the video, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. I love that little voice. Even if I'm going to say no, not at all. So I listen. And that's how God feels about us because we're his sons and daughters. He loves to hear our voice. He wants us to talk to him. It's, that's amazing, right? The God of the universe wants to hear our voice. So this week we're going to look at Hallowed Be Your Name. Hallow. What does that mean? Weird word, I think. Uh, it's an old English word, and it means to honor is holy. It means to venerate. So venerate, I don't know this word either, so i got to look it up. Um, it means to hold, to esteem, exalt, to regard, to hold in awe, to put on a pedestal, to think highly of. It basically means to worship and praise. So, I like that word. It's a new word for me. It's probably a new word for you, so you're welcome. You can pull that out as a party trick or impress your parents sometime. Uh, use it with words with friends. Maybe score some points. Uh, other translations of the Lord's Prayer say, may your name be kept holy. So that doesn't mean if we don't worship his name, his name isn't going to be holy. God is holy regardless of if we praise him or not. Because if he's not holy, what's the point? Why are we doing all this? Why are we even here? Why are we praying? Right? But what Jesus is saying, may we treat and realize God as being infinitely glorious and as mighty and as beautiful as he really is. So may we understand him in his fullness. That's what he's saying when we hallow his name. The Hebrew word for holy is kodesh. That means set apart, means above everything, means completely other, and above anything created. So he's on a whole other level. It means that he functions on a whole other level. He's not limited the way we're limited. He doesn't worry about the things that we worry about. He thinks differently than us. So Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are above your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Psalm 77, verse 13 says, Your way, O Lord, is holy. What God is like our God? Right? What God is like our God? So yeah, okay. God is holy. We know. That's why we're praying. Right? 
Obviously, I need to pray because I can't do this or that myself. I need something outside of myself. So why does Jesus say this? May your name be kept holy. Hallowed be your name. I think most of us, at least I have for most of my life, 32 years, 31 years when I started to kind of change my mind about this, we pray like this. Our Father, blah, 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 give me my daily bread and please forgive me. Because of our American culture and our human nature, we see prayer as a part of our faith to get stuff done and to get our needs met. But Jesus said this is a pause to reflect on who God is and to praise him. Before you get to all the other stuff. Now, this isn't a requirement because God's our father. He's our loving father. We can come to him and ask him whatever we want in whatever way we want. He doesn't, he's not annoyed by us. He's benevolent. He's a loving father. He's way more patient than you are with your own kids on your most patient moment. So it's not that God doesn't hear our prayers if we don't follow this formula. But how shallow is your prayer life going to be if it's all about give me, bless me, please me, 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 and because I do a lot of sinning, forgive me. So we're the ones who put the limits on our own prayer lives. And it's based on what we think of him. And it's because we're not seeing him for who he is. So how would your prayer life look if you knew God as he really is? What would your life look like? So Jesus said this is how we should pray, to hallow his name. So this is how we grow in prayer. Jesus is always offering us more than we already have. He's good like that. So I found this definition of prayer on Wikipedia. Prayer is an evolving means of interacting with God. I like that one. Thank you, Wikipedia. And no, I don't have any donations for you. So, Jesus is giving us the way to a life-giving, exciting, and vibrant prayer life. It's reflecting on who God is and praising him for it. And this is the place in prayer where we honor and treat God as holy. But in order to do that, we have to know him. So how can we see God for who he really is in prayer? How do we do this? How do we get the kind of prayer life that Jesus had? Jesus would escape. He, he would go off by himself. He craved to go pray. How do we have the prayer life that David had? It was one of his great loves. How do we have the, the prayer life that Daniel had? Let's talk about Daniel. Most of you know the story, but I'll just do a little summary, Tim's summary of Daniel. He was a hand-picked servant and a scholar and a governor picked by the king of Babylon, Darius. God's hand was clearly on his life and his favor was evident to the point that it made his his counterparts, his Babylonian counterparts, uh, so jealous, they wanted to just, just destroy him. So he was so good that the king was even considering appointing him as his second man. Um, so Daniel had a deep and intimate relationship with God, and he prayed to him three times a day in the upstairs room of his house, unashamed with the windows open. His jealous co-workers couldn't find anything to get him demoted. They couldn't find any corruption in him. They couldn't say he was negligent because he was committed to live right before God and before men. So, when they couldn't get any dirt on Daniel, what they did is they tricked the king with flattery into issuing a decree that no one should pray to any god but the king for the next 30 days, or they would be thrown into the lion's den. So, when Daniel hears the decree, 
has just been published. You know, he's in the court. He knows what's going on. As soon as it's published, what does he do? The Bible says he immediately goes home and prays just as he did before. He craved his time with God so much that he was willing to be eating, eaten alive by lions. And God delivered him, but he didn't know that. So, does your prayer life look like that? Mine doesn't. Uh, mine's just now changing, and it's kind of funny that I'm even preaching on this because I'm, this is something I'm learning myself. So people would tell me how they love to pray. I'm an intercessor. And I think, good for you, you're nuts. Uh, you, know, you want me asked to go to prayer meetings, and I think, why would I want to do that? I don't want to pray by myself, and you want me to go sit in a room with a bunch of weird people who like it. Uh, no, thank you. Oh, the pastor's preaching on prayer this week. Awesome. Something I suck at. But I'm changing in this area. Truly, I am. This year, I've begun to really understand how prayer can be exciting and life-giving. So I'm just sharing what I'm discovering. So I've got three keys to a life-giving prayer life and knowing God's holiness. It's meditation, reflection, and adoration. So we're going to talk about meditating. Meditating is defined as to think deeply or focus one's mind for a period of time in silence or with the aid of chanting for religious or spiritual purposes as a method of relaxation. It's also defined as to think deeply or carefully about something. So everyone knows about meditation probably in this room. You've been exposed to it in some way, but you've been exposed to the Eastern version of this. Uh, it's really popular with celebrities in Hollywood. Uh, tons of successful CEOs and uh, people say that that's one of the keys to their success. Uh, but the difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation is this. We're not meditating on ourselves or nothing or your breaths. First of all, why would you even do this? I mean, I don't know about you. I don't need more of myself. I don't want to focus more on myself. And second, I don't have time for nothing. I am busier than I've ever been. I don't know about you. So I don't, I don't have time for something that's not going to give me life. Do you? I, I don't. So, and we're also not emptying our minds. We're not just emptying my mind. I can't do that anyways. Uh, I can't sit still long enough. So, biblical meditation is meditating on someone. He's the living one. He's the God of all things. But so, we're not emptying our minds. We're filling it with God, thoughts of God. But in order to have anything to meditate about the, on about the character of God, you have to know his word. You have to know scripture, and that's because that's the way, where we go uh, to see who God is, and the Holy Spirit opens our heart to see the truth of his word. Jimmy Evans sums up biblical meditation as this. Biblical meditation is mentally rehearsing a portion of scripture that in turn causes you to consider God and the things of God. So what if you have trouble understanding scripture? It can be daunting and intimidating, I know. I feel that way a lot. But that's awesome, because then you get to ask the Holy Spirit, what's up? What does that mean? God, why did you say that? That's weird, God. Like, why did you do that? And you know what? God loves that, because you're considering his word, and you're not just skimming over it. God wants you to know and understand him. He does. So that way, at that point, you're meditating on it, 
and you're praying. Two spiritual disciplines at once. Look at you. You're a multitasker now. All right? Impress your parents with that one. Okay. So God wants you to know and understand him. Also, we're doing that right now. Right? We're talking. We're thinking. We're considering what God's word says and what he means and what that says about him. So in order to hallow God's name, we have to know his word. Deeper, intimate, life-changing prayer is based in knowing Scripture. And the essential part of knowing and really understanding Scripture, not just reading it, is to meditate on it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal His truth to us. So I'm going to move on to reflection. Reflecting is like meditation, but it's looking back on how you've experienced God in your life. How has God come through for you in the past? What about the moves of God you've seen happen in your life? Um, it's about thinking, thinking about the past experience that you've had with God in his presence. Maybe you've, you've uh, had an experience with God where he felt so real to you, you could touch him. That's what reflecting is. And we need to do this because how easily do we forget who God is and what he's done for us? Pretty, pretty easy. I know that that's the truth for me. And we do that with each other. It's human nature. Like when you get in a bad argument with your wife. I guarantee that as that's happening, you're not walking around thinking of all the great things that she is and everything she's done, how she's been with you through the highs and lows. No, you're not thinking about that. You're angry, you're mad, you're arguing. What about your job when you tell them no? They get upset and say stuff like, well, I thought you were a team player. Yeah, that's why I said yes all those other times. Uh, all the late nights I worked, all the business trips I took, but believe me, they forgot, okay? They're always going to forget. What happens when you do sit down and reflect on how much you love your wife, how she's been with you through all the highs and the lows? You start to feel your love growing for her, right? You, you start, you feel your love and, and affection expanding as you think about someone you love and who they are and who they are in your life. Uh, what about your parents who you might be annoyed with? If there's any teenagers... Well, so if you sit down and you think about the sacrifices they've made, maybe, maybe it takes being an adult to really think about this, but think about the sacrifices they made and the way they changed their life to raise you, the way they would still drop everything they're doing to run and help you if you needed it. It's the same with God. We forget from where he's brought us a lot of times. Uh, we forget all that he's done for us, but if we stop and reflect, wow, you know, I don't even know how you got me here, God. You must love me and be with me. You must be all-powerful to have worked that out. You saw beyond what I could see in that situation. So I've got a personal story for you. My parents, and it's one that I reflect on a lot. So I was, I was uh, essentially kicked out of my parents' home by my dad when I was 18. And it was because I was dating Warren. And you'd have to ask him why. Uh, because still to this day, I don't know. But he gave me an ultimatum. He said, break up with her or live somewhere else and figure your life out yourself. And even as a dumb 18-year-old, somehow I knew Lauren was the one that God wanted me to marry. I was not prepared to be on my own at all. But I said, okay, have a nice life. So I packed my old Mitsubishi Montero Sport 
uh, which was given to me by my youth pastor at the time. And I packed it full of everything I had, which really wasn't much at all. Uh, and then I, I went straight to Lauren's house, and I wept because I didn't know what I was doing. I'd already broken up with Lauren two other times because of this, because my dad pushing me. And I wasn't going to be persuaded to do what I didn't think was right anymore. Uh, I didn't have a place to stay or go. But, you know, God provided a place for me to stay every night for the next two and a half years until Lauren and I got married. I never once went without food, and I never once had to spend the night alone in my car. I always had a family or a friend to stay with. And that's more than a lot of people can say, because God provided for me. And on the nights that I laid there on someone's couch, and the weight of being without a family or a home would hit me, and I would cry. I was rejected by a father who I loved and is supposed to love me and care for me and always be there for me. But God became my father, and he never once left my side, and he comforted me in those nights, and I know he watched over me. <clears throat> so God also provided me with spiritual fathers, Randy being one of the greatest. Like I said earlier, he really taught me life skills that I wouldn't have known otherwise. I would not have, I didn't know how to do any changing. I was not mechanical. I mean, I struggled changing a tire, changing oil. And he taught me those things. Uh, he helped me navigate my 20s. How many of you in here needed your dad even though you were 20 years old? Right? You were an adult, but you still needed your dad. I still needed a dad, and God gave me one. Also, God sustained my faith in him. Most teenagers who go through that from a Christian Bible-thumping dad don't come out the other side believing. They come out jaded, disillusioned with who God is. And I mean, how could you blame them? How could God, who's supposed to be a loving father, allow their father to hurt them so much, especially when they're a Christian, right? But God didn't allow that in me. I mean, I should be bitter. I shouldn't care about God. I mean, I, I could look at that, hey, that's proof. But God didn't allow that. I don't know how he did it. But God did it. He held on to me. And in those times, I, I felt his presence at night when I was, felt alone. I mean, some of you have experienced this, but he was so real. I, I felt like he was hugging me. I mean, some of you have experienced that, and that's something I just reflect on. So that's reflection. And it brings me close to, to him in prayer. I, it makes me say, oh, Dad. I know you. You were there. You were real to me then, and you're real to me now. You were bigger then, and you're bigger now. You were mighty, and you moved, and you gave me favor wherever I went, and I know you're with me now. So David says this in Psalm 42, verses 6 through 8. Oh God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep at the sound of your waterfalls, and all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. Right here, David is reflecting. He's remembering how God was with him in the past, and it comforts him in knowing that God is still with him. It helps him prove, like, yeah, God, you're with me. You are who you say you are. Yeah, I remember that. I won't forget. So that's reflection. So now we're going to come to adoration, the third key. So we just finished it, right? Praise and worship, which is adoration. 
It's exciting. Who doesn't love praise and worship? I mean, you've got the music, you've got the, the lyrics that just you respond to, your heart responds to. And it's because we're reflecting, we're declaring the truth of who God is. We're experiencing his presence through the Holy Spirit, opening our hearts through us singing and meditating on the truth of his word. And we enjoy it, right? I didn't even know that was a part of prayer. I just thought, I don't like prayer. I like praise and worship. But it's, it's all together. <clears throat> so our, all of our songs are taken from Scripture because that's how we know who he is. So in a way, that's meditating. So as a, as a corporate church, we're all participating in biblical meditation that's turning into adoration. And you didn't even know it. I didn't know it until recently. So maybe one of these songs causes you to reflect on, on him in a time that God was so real to you, you could touch him. These songs sometimes bring to mind parts, days in our lives where we thought we weren't going to make it through and God came through. Or he performed a, performed a miracle in your life and you just break out in song. That is adoration. So scripture is where we learn who God, about who God is and through meditation and adoration, we get to experience all that he really is. So prayer is like this immersive experience where we're meditating, we're reflecting, and we're adoring. And that's how we interact with God. And that's what a life-giving prayer life looks like. So praise is the culmination of meditating and reflecting on God. When you experience God, it leads to praise. You can't help it. As you begin to discover the depths and the dimensions of God, you can't help but be changed and respond with adoration. Psalm 119, verse 62 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil, which means treasure. God even promises to meet us in this place of prayer. Isaiah 45, 3 says, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. That's great. That's incredible. That's who he is. Adoration will change your relationship with God. How do you talk to an acquaintance versus a loved one? So you adore somebody. How do you feel? How do you treat someone you adore? Don't you wonder what they're up to during the day? Don't you want to be with that person? Don't you talk to them with love and excitement when you see them after a long day? That's what adoration does to any relationship. So adoration can actually be meditation in itself because you say, God, I praise you for your love. But then you can expand on that and say, I praise you for your great, wall-breaking, unconditional, persevering love, your limitless love. And as I'm saying that, that hits some of you right here, right? So your spirit's going, yes, I know, I know that. Yes, that's who he is to me because you're experiencing your affections for God growing as you meditate on who he is and as you listen to his praise. So that's how adoration works and that's how it brings you closer to God. That's how your prayer life turns from dragging your feet to this. Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is why we hallow God's name. Jesus is showing us how to deepen our intimacy with the Father. And he should know. He says in Luke 
chapter 10, verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and the reveal to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, God's, Jesus has chosen to reveal the Father to us. He's saying, I know him, and this is how you should pray. All of these acts of worship, meditating, reflecting, adoration, all echo each other and support each other. So this all points to one thing. God wants to be known, and he wants to commune with us. And he wants to fill us with all the fullness of himself. When we hallow or adore God, it changes us. The more we know God, it changes us. Our desires change. Our loves change. The level that we love people changes. Our prayer life will change. When we hallow God's name, we can't help but be changed in his presence. And we start to align our lives with him. So Paul prays this in Ephesians, for the Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 17, verses 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge and you be filled up to all the fullness of God. Knowing the fullness of God and experiencing him changes us. It also changes the trajectory of our prayers. We can see that he knows best. We want what he wants and our problems aren't so big. We see him as an almighty God and creator of all things that's bigger than our sickness, our struggles, our pain. We may have approached prayer with a list, but when we pause and we see him and experience him, sometimes we forget what we're even praying about. And it becomes a time of adoration and joy in his presence. And this is the type of prayer that keeps you coming back for more. The Psalms are full of examples of this. We just looked at the life of David. And you can see his prayers and you can follow the timeline of his life. And so you can see prayers of when he was hiding in caves, running for his life, when enemies were attacking him, when he thought he was pretty much on death's door. But if you look at them, you see a pattern. He may have started with his problems, but after reflecting and meditating on God and who he is and adoring God, his psalms turn into praise and adoration. So much so that a lot of the psalms, he starts singing as if his problems are already solved and his enemies are already destroyed. What's changed? He's seen who God is. He's seen like, oh, I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. You're with me. So, the keys to life-giving prayer that becomes your desire, meditating on God's word, reflecting on who he is, and praising and adoring him. This is going to change your prayer life from a dead religious exercise, the way that I used to look at it, and it's something that you crave because you meet the love of your life there, Jesus. And then as our hearts expanded by these things, meditation, reflection, and adoration, your prayer life starts to sound more like this. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in your sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With seeing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. And I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice 
and all who swear by God will glory in him, while mouths of liars will be silenced. He's praying as if it's already done. It's already, you've already won, God. My enemies are already defeated. So when we hallow God's name, he becomes our desire and the answer to our prayers. So, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, help us to hallow your name. Help us to see you in your holiness. Help us to expand our hearts and our mind, our life, so that we align our hearts with you, God. We start to align our life with you. That we start to find joy in your presence and praying and meeting you. That we start to desire you, Lord. Help us, God, to find you in this place of prayer and to hallow your name. In Jesus' name, amen.